Luke chapter 19. Starting in verse 29, I'm just going to read a few verses here about Palm Sunday, and then we're going to begin to unpack that, if my deal will cooperate with me here. Sorry, technical difficulties. Technology is great when it works. All right, Luke chapter 19, verse 29. It says, When he, being Jesus, drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olive, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say, The Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent away found just as he had been told, as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very rocks would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Amen. You may be seated. Today's the day in the church calendar that we know as and that we call Palm Sunday. And we call it that because on the Sunday before Jesus was crucified, he entered the capital city of Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey. And as he rode into the city on that donkey, people began to line the streets and to walk with them. And as he rode in, they, they laid before him on the road their cloaks and branches from the palm trees, all while shouting praises to Jesus. Now, Palm Sunday... It is one of the, the holiest days on the church calendar. In fact, in more liturgical uh, tr church traditions, Palm Sunday is one of the holiest feast days of the church year. And in fact, some parts of the world, Palm Sunday is the highest attended church day in the entire year, higher than Christmas and Easter in some parts of the world. It is such an important day in the church calendar. And it's important not only because we commemorate, reenact, and remember the Lord's entry into the city of Jerusalem, but also because it's the first day of the holiest week of the year, what we call Holy Week. Today is the beginning of what we call Holy Week. It is the week leading up to Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus, and Sunday, the resurrection of the Lord. And for me, especially the past few years, 
Holy Week has took on just an, an entirely new meaning to me of observing this week and, and getting into the rhythm of reenacting and remembering the actions and the events of Jesus' life in this last week. It's, it's become spiritually beneficial to me to once a year take time to, to reflect and remember the, the, the last uh, days of Jesus' life. Not that we don't spend time in, in prayer and fasting and, and reading scripture the rest of the year, but something about this season, something about this week, something about when the weather is changing and, and new life is springing up in nature and we, we see things start to change in nature and it, it realigns us with, with the church calendar and we can begin to meditate on who Jesus is and, and what the events of Holy Week really mean, uh, what Good Friday really means, what Easter Sunday really means. And I just want to encourage you over the next few days this week to to pray and reflect on the, the final days of Jesus' life. You might want to take time to read through the tail end of the gospel accounts in the New Testament. Maybe start in Luke chapter 19 where we're starting today. And every day read a few chapters until you get to Luke chapter 24. Just to focus this week on the, the last week of Jesus' life. And then I, I want to invite you to be here uh, this Friday at 7 o'clock. Where we're going to come together and, and remember and, and reflect on the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to worship the Lord. Reflecting on his sacrifice on the cross and per participating in Holy Communion together. So I want you to just kind of be in the rhythm of this week and what's going on this week in Holy Week and be here Friday for our Good Friday worship and communion and then back Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. But today we begin Holy Week with Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode on the colt of a donkey, praised by people with palm branches and cloaks laid before him to ride upon. With shouts of Hosanna. Didn't say that word in Luke's account, but in other gospel accounts, they shouted Hosanna, which is an Aramaic word that means come save us or, or come deliver us. And remember, we're in this series called Behold the Man. We've been in it. This is now the sixth week that we've been in this series. And it's all about looking at Jesus and finding out what God is really like. Because Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? And He is God in the flesh. Amen? He is God incarnate. He is the express image and carries the full nature of who God really is. And on Palm Sunday, 2,000 years ago, a large group of people walked the streets of Jerusalem with Jesus just to get a chance to behold Him. Just to look at Him. They were all out to see who Jesus was, and they're shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. So today's message is, Behold the man Jesus, and when we do, we see God our King. Our King. Let's pray before we go any further. Lord, we just sang about you being the King of our hearts and my prayer today is that as we reflect on, on Palm Sunday, as we reflect on your entry into Jerusalem, that, that we would leave here with a fresh understanding of what kind of king you are. And that we would follow you and, and, and imitate you and walk with you as our king and that our life would begin to reflect the truth of you, God our king. In Jesus' name, amen. So our task today is to behold Jesus as he rides into the holy city of Jerusalem, 
riding on the colt of a donkey, receiving praises of Hosanna, blessed is the king, with palm branches laid before him. And as we behold the man Jesus on Palm Sunday, for us to really see what it means for God to be our king. Now, I have to confess something. This week, as I prepared for this message, I really started to struggle with some things because I I read the account of Palm Sunday fresh. I hadn't read it in probably since last year. And and I was trying to, it almost became like trying to take a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. There was just so much in this story, so much in this episode in Jesus' life that's worth talking about. And here's why. The gospel accounts of Palm Sunday are just chock full of symbolism, of cultural illusion, of Old Testament illusion, of historical references, and, and prophetic insight. This is a big day. It's a big deal. So before I get into the application, I just want to point out, it's kind of like a puzzle. You have to know what the different pieces of Palm Sunday really mean in order to break it down and understand it. The first thing that you need to understand is Zechariah's prophecy. See, 480 plus years before Jesus was ever born, a Hebrew prophet named Zechariah prophesied and lived and wrote, and Zechariah was inspired by God to write these words. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. 480 years before Palm Sunday, The man of God wrote these words. And so the first thing we notice is that Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is intentionally an act of Old Testament prophetic fulfillment. Jesus riding on a donkey is a direct fulfillment of prophecy written over 400 years before Jesus. And another thing is you have to understand the donkey and what the donkey means. In the culture of that time, the donkey is always a symbol of peace. In fact, Zechariah makes this distinction in the next verse in in Zechariah 9.10. After he's talking about the king riding in on a donkey, he says, And that same king will cut off the war horse of Israel. So Jesus, the eternal king on Palm Sunday, rides a peace donkey instead of a war horse. He rides in on a symbol of peace instead of a symbol of violence, of war. And then on top of that, there's the act of of laying cloaks before Jesus as he rides. It was was traditional at that time when a king, uh, in order to express reverence and honor to the king, for people to take off their outer garments and lay them before that king for him to walk upon. This was symbolically saying that the king was so high and so lifted up, the ground wasn't even worthy for him to walk. Walk upon, So they would take off their outer garments so that his feet wouldn't have to touch the dust of the earth. And in fact, this happened in 2 Kings 9 when Jehu was, was anointed king of Israel by the prophet. And as, after he was anointed, all the men were there and experienced him being anointed as king. The first thing they did was they took off their cloaks and laid them before Jehu for him to walk upon. And then there's the palm branches. So we got the peace donkey. We got the cloaks laid before the king. And then there's the palm branches themselves. Often, especially in this part of the world, at this time, and in ancient Rome, the palm branches were a symbol of victory or of triumph. In fact, the Latin word palma, it means 
literally the palm tree, but it also means victory. When a victorious king would ride into a city that he had just conquered or when he would return from war, he would be greeted by people and praised by people with shouts of acclamation and they would wave palm branches and lay palm branches at his feet as a celebration of victory. And eventually the palm branch became to mean even more than victory. It became to be a symbol of peace itself because victory meant that war was over. It meant that peace had been established again. And so they came out waving palm branches before the king and laying them at his feet as a symbol that victory had been won and peace had been restored. So Palm Sunday, it puts all these pieces together. Peace donkey, Old Testament prophecy, a a celebration of victory and peace. But then also even more interesting, palm branches at this time period, they weren't just used as a celebration of victory and the procession of a king riding in after winning a battle. They also used palm branches during funeral processions. When someone had died and they were carrying the body outside of the city to be buried, they would often take palm branches and lay them over the body and line the street with them as a symbol of respect and honor for that person who had died. So palm branches, they're not just a symbol of victory and of peace, but also there's this idea of a a funeral procession as well. And one thing that you might not notice when you first read this, and I, I had never noticed this before until a few days ago. I came home from the office and I told Katie, I said, I have seen something in the Bible I have never seen before and people have lied to me my entire life. Because here's the deal. If you grew up in church or you grew up hearing this story, You were often told and we often led to believe that Palm Sunday was the day that the people of Jerusalem welcomed Jesus into the city. How many that sounds about right to you? That's what you heard. Not what the Bible says. Blew my mind this this week when I read it. The Bible never says that the people of Jerusalem welcomed Jesus into the city. Go back and read it. Go back and, and look at it himself. Because a lot of times you'd hear this, uh, you'd hear preachers say this, the same crowd that shouted Hosanna on, on Sunday, shouted crucify him on Friday. Not what happened. They were two totally different groups of people. Go back and read in the Gospels. They never say that the citizens of Jerusalem were welcoming Jesus. In fact, it says that the ones who were shouting praises to Jesus and waving palm branches and laying cloaks before Jesus, they, they were likely his disciples and people who already were following him. The Bible says that the ones who were walking with him, the ones who were following him, they were the ones who took off their cloaks and laid palm branches before him. And then it goes on to say that the city of Jerusalem was stirred up in anger at what was happening. That Jerusalem, the people there, they weren't happy about this. This wasn't a celebration for them. This was more like an intrusion. This was more like an invasion to them. The Bible doesn't say that they were, the people of Jerusalem cheered for Jesus and in fact says that they were probably quite angry that he was there. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the city was thrown into turmoil because of this display. And religious leaders that we just read in Luke, they told Jesus, hey, tell your disciples to be quiet. People that you have authority over, you tell them to stop praising you. And Jesus says, of course, if I tell them to stop, the rocks will cry out. Here's what I'm getting at. Palm Sunday was a huge deal. The things that were happening on Palm Sunday surrounding Jesus were actually illegal, were actually a treason. 
The idea that people would shout praises to Jesus as king is treason in the sight of the Roman appointed king Herod and in sight of the emperor Caesar. To say that Jesus is king is to say Caesar is not. And to challenge the authority of the emperor or of his puppet king Herod of Judea was to commit treason and the sentence for that crime was death. So for Jesus to accept this kind of praise and to allow this to happen and to accept the title of king, this is dangerous. The religious leaders and the political leaders of Jerusalem, they had already heard about Jesus. We learn in John chapter 11 that after Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead, that the the religious leaders in Jerusalem heard about it and they began to plot to kill Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, uh, having the authority over death and having authority over the grave, claiming the authority of a king, that was a direct threat to their authority. And they didn't want to share their authority, so they tried to find a way to kill him. They were already plotting against him. And when he rides into the city fulfilling prophecy, announcing victory, allowing people to call him king, and all of this escalates and it leads to the events that lead directly to his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. Here, we need to refocus for just a minute. I want you to pay attention here. If you were a a Roman a Roman official or you were a religious official in Jerusalem, if you saw Jesus riding in, being called king, being, being shouted praises at with palm branches before him, you would not welcome him. You would consider this a threat. You would even almost interpret it as an act of war because he's got several hundred people following him. It looks like to them an army is marching into their city claiming victory. This is an invasion. This is an intrusion. This is dangerous. This act, Palm Sunday, more than anything else in Jesus' life, is what led to Good Friday. It's what led to his crucifixion. The triumphal entry of Christ into the city of Jerusalem, it's the catalyst that sets into motion the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. But it's also a prophetic gesture, a statement that Jesus and his disciples are making that he is our true and eternal king. Rome, Roman Emperor Caesar, you're not our king. King Herod, you're, you're not our king. Jesus is our king. In this story, when you put all the pieces together, you find out what kind of king he is. First, we see he's a peaceful king. Said earlier, he chose to ride a peace donkey instead of a war horse. It's a statement to the world that he is a new kind of king. All over the world, in every major city, you'll find memorial statues of generals or kings sitting on war horses as a memorial to their victory over their enemy. You've seen these statues before of men on horses. The world has told us that in order to be a king and in order to be victorious, you must be violent, you must ride a war horse, you must conquer your enemy through killing them. But Jesus is a new kind of king. Amen? He's the kind of king that would rather die than kill his enemies. He's the kind of king that rides a peace donkey instead of a war horse. He's the kind of king who lays down his own life to save others. Jesus' way of fulfilling the role of Messiah, his way of becoming king, his way of announcing his kingdom was not through military might or power, but through suffering on a cross. 
So in a sense, those who were praising Jesus for his victory, they were both right and wrong. Many of them, including his disciples, believed that he was the long-expected Messiah, that he was going to ride into the city, and he'd start kicking tail and taking names. He'd start setting things right. And what they found out was, instead, he knows he's going to the cross on Friday. They thought he would lead a violent uh, uprising, a violent rebellion against the oppressive Roman government. But instead... He went to a hill called Calvary. They thought they were laying down palm branches in war victory. They didn't realize it was a funeral procession. See, Jesus, when he walks into the city, he doesn't have wars and weapons of mass destruction on his mind. Instead, he knows he's riding into the city in peace. Instead, he knows that the palms are palms, uh, not just of, of victory, but of peace and of a funeral. And he knows that in a few days' time, He will go to the cross. Every other kingdom in human history, every single kingdom in human history, including our nation, we don't call it a kingdom, but let's just, for the sake of of the, the message, every other kingdom, every other domain in all of history has been developed and accomplished through one group of people killing another group of people they labeled the enemy. But the kingdom of God is not one through the bloodshed of enemies. The kingdom of God is won through the blood of Jesus shed on a cross. Jesus conquers the heart of men, not by oppressing them, but by suffering for them. He is our peaceful king. The scripture calls him the prince of peace. And if he is our king, and if we submit to his leadership and are followers of his way, and if he is the prince of peace or the king of peace, then shouldn't we as people of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, be people of peace? Shouldn't we follow Jesus on the way of peace? Now, I'm not here to justify or or debate just war theory or anything like that. I'm here to simply present the challenge to you that if he's the Prince of Peace and we say we follow him, shouldn't our lives look like that? Should we not, as Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone? You know what that word every is in the Greek? It means every. Every single last person. Make every single effort you can to live in peace with every single person around you. Should we not find ways then to make peace with our spouse and make peace with our children and make peace with our neighbor? Should we not find ways to extend peace when our flesh says to fight? I don't don't have all the answers to this, but I have observed this whether we're talking about international politics or whether you're talking about dysfunctional family relationships, war always begets more war. And violence always begets more violence. We have to break the cycle. We have to ride in on a peace donkey. We have to find a way to establish peace when everyone around us wants war. We have to make every effort, not just every convenient effort, not just every easy effort, not just every comfortable effort, every effort to live at peace with everyone. Not getting a lot of amens on that one. We'll move on. So he's the peaceful king. But the paradox of this story is he's peaceful, but he's also the triumphant king. He's the victorious king. 
In most versions of scripture, if you go to Luke 19, there'll be a label above this passage that says the triumphal entry. And that's because it's obvious that the the acts of Palm Sunday are intentionally made to look like a welcoming parade for a conquering king. But we've seen that Jesus triumphs through peace and suffering through the cross instead of through violent uprising or rebellion. But he's still triumphant, even though he didn't fight. And he's still victorious, even though they took him to the cross. Those who lined the streets today to praise Jesus for his victory, for his triumph, his glory, they weren't wrong. They didn't just didn't know how he would accomplish his victory. They think he's entering the city to kill and be victorious. Jesus knows he's entering the city to die and then be victorious over death. This is the mystery of the gospel. This is the paradox of the truth of who God is. That by suffering and dying, he wins for us true victory. That he didn't come for us to, to, to us to conquer humanity, but to rescue humanity. And to the world, this idea is foolishness. The Apostle Paul, he said that preaching the cross is foolishness to the world. But to those who have grasped its reality, for those who've actually been to the cross, for those who've actually experienced being washed in the blood, it is the power of God unto salvation. And Paul writes in Colossians 2 how through his death on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities of the world and put them to open shame. In other words, they thought they could stop me by killing me. They didn't know that they were actually helping me gain the victory. Paul would even write elsewhere that had they known what they were doing, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. And just as our king found victory through offering up his life, you and I, we find victory by offering up our lives, by totally surrendering our life to him, by totally surrendering our life to his lordship, to his leadership, to his way, we too can find victory. Paul wrote then again in 2 Corinthians, he said that Christ leads us in a triumphal procession. That following him on his way of peace, following him on his way of self-sacrifice, following him and carrying our own cross in his way of love, that is how we find victory. If you feel like you've been losing it life lately, you, the, the way to win is to just lose it a little bit more at an altar, to lose it a little bit more at the cross, to lose your life, and that's where you find your victory. See, our king is King Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He is God the Son. Our king is the one who was dead but is now alive. Our king is the one who holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Our king is the one who holds all authority in his hands. Our king is the undefeatable, undeposable, sovereign, mighty, victorious, triumphant king of glory. So he's a peaceful king. He's a triumphant king. And lastly, he's our loving king. As Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem, riding his peace donkey, proclaiming victory over the violent systems of the world, he sees the city and the scripture says that he began to weep. He wept over the city of Jerusalem saying, would that even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus knows that ultimately he will be rejected by the religious and political systems in Jerusalem. He knows that his beloved city will ultimately reject him, his peace, and his victory. 
and he weeps. He weeps because of their rejection, and he weeps because of their fate. See, in just a few short years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, Jerusalem will fall under the spell of religious zealotry and violent nationalism. And instead of following Jesus' way of peace, they will take up arms in the year 66, about 30 years after Jesus' death. They'll take up arms against the Roman government. And the Roman government will retaliate by completely demolishing the city. The emperor Titus, who's after Caesar, he will take up arms in 70 AD and he will destroy the entire city. And historians wrote that the Romans killed everything that moved in the city until there was nothing left to kill. And then they dismantled and destroyed every building, including the holy temple. So Jesus, who's outside of time, and God who exists outside of time, he's riding on the peace donkey, and he sees what will happen to his beloved people when they choose violence over peace, when they choose to follow the world order of violence and hatred instead of the gospel of love and acceptance and forgiveness and mercy. And Proverbs put it this way, there is a way that seems right to a man, and it always leads to destruction. So Jesus weeps tears of sorrow at the unnecessary loss. He says, would that you would even just know what the way of peace really is. Would that you would actually follow me. Maybe you could avoid the destruction that's coming to you. And Jesus right now, over many lives, maybe some in this room, is saying the same thing. He is weeping over lives that are in rejection, knowing that there's a way that seems right to a man, and it leads to destruction. A lot of us, we have an image of Jesus or of God who's angry at us and we're just, he's just waiting to punish us for something. No, he's looking at the city, at your life, and he's weeping and saying, I wish you would just turn to this way of peace that I'm offering you. Because I see the path you're going down and that path will lead to destruction. But if you choose the way of peace, that's the way to victory. Only other, one other time in the Gospels do we see Jesus weeping. In John 11, 11, when his friend Lazarus died, Jesus arrives and he knows that he's going to bring Lazarus back to life. He knows. But before he does, he sees Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And he sees the tears in their eyes and he sees the pain and the grief on their face. And the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, says, Jesus wept. He wasn't he knew he was going to raise Lazarus to life. He wasn't weeping over Lazarus. He was weeping over the pain and grief and sorrow he saw in Mary and Martha. He was looking, he was weeping for the pain and grief that he saw in his friends who believed their death, that death was final. See, Jesus is the loving king who sees the pain, the hurt, the grief, and the loss of what it means to be human. All of us have experienced pain or loss or rejection in some way. He sees the, the self-inflicted pain from our own bad choices, and he weeps. And he sees the pain and suffering that just happens because we're living life and we live in a fallen world, and there's no one to point a finger at. It just happened. And he sees that pain, and he weeps. 
And the psalmist wrote this about God. He says, you keep track of all my sorrows and you store up and collect my tears in a bottle. Jesus knows every little pain you have ever experienced. He has seen and observed every tear you have ever cried. But he is not just a sympathetic loving king. He is a powerful loving king. He doesn't just care about our sorrows and griefs or mistakes. He has the power to do something about them. When a woman hemorrhaging blood came to him, he didn't just feel sorry for her. He healed her. When a leprous man came to him, he didn't just cry for them. He cleansed them. When a demon possessed Gerasene, who had been living in the tombs for years, when he came before him, he didn't just feel bad for him and pat him on the back. He delivered him. And see, in Jesus, we see the God who is our loving king, who not only cares for us, who is powerful enough to do the miraculous in our lives. He didn't just weep for the people of Jerusalem. He died for them. He offered them a better way. He offered them a peaceful way. He offered them victory through the cross. So Jesus, he rides into the city. He's riding a peace donkey. He's announcing the kingdom. He's proclaiming victory. He's establishing his reign of love and mercy and compassion. And the story ends with him weeping over his beloved city. Because even though he's the peaceful king we've always been looking for, and even though he's the triumphant king who conquers death, and even though he's the loving king who has compassion and mercy on us in our suffering, he weeps because some would still reject him. Our series is entitled Behold the Man, looking to Jesus to find out what God is really like. But the truth is, is that you could be in that parade that day, or you could be on that street when Jesus walked by, you could look at Jesus and never give another thought to him. The truth is, you can see Jesus but not really know him. The truth is, you can observe Jesus but not choose to follow him. And the tragedy of scripture is that hundreds, possibly thousands of people had the chance to see, hear, and watch and observe Jesus, but they never really took time to behold Jesus. Pilate, he brings Jesus before the crowd uh, on Good Friday and, and they're shouting, crucify him. And, and Pilate yells, behold the man. But they only seen him with his, they've only seen him with their eyes. They didn't truly behold who he was. The modern word behold that we use, we don't use it a lot. <laughs> it's not one we, usually in the Bible is the only place we read the word behold. But it comes from the old English word behalden. And it literally means to thoroughly hold. It wasn't initially a word of vision. It was a word of grasping something, of holding on to something. It's not just about observing with our eyes. Beholding a thing is grasping a thing, of clinging to a thing, of holding tightly to that thing. This series of messages, it's not just about looking at Jesus. It's about clinging to Jesus. It's about grasping who Jesus really is. It's about never letting him go. It's about getting the truth of who Jesus is and grasping it with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our will and all of our emotions. It's about laying hold of the truth of who Jesus really is and never letting go. Jesus wept 
Because the city would see Jesus. They would watch him right in. They would see him on trial. They would see him beaten. They would see him mocked. They would see him crucified and die. And they, but they would never really grasp who he is. They would never really cling to the truth of his kingdom. And the same is true today. Many may know who Jesus is. They've seen the artwork that bears his image. They've heard Bible stories. They, they go down the road. You, in Arkansas, you can't go a few miles without seeing a cross on the side of the road somewhere. But they've never really taken time to truly behold Jesus, to grasp him and never let go. God, our King. Would you stand with me?